Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another monumental episode of Inspiration Point. As always, I'm Andrew. And I'm Adam. And uh, long time or even perhaps moderate time listeners know that uh, I'm currently running a Curse of Strahd campaign. And in an effort to make sure that I was running it the best I could be, I sought out resources to help. I found the Curse of Strahd focused community over at the subreddit r slash Curse of Strahd and found a wealth of resources made by a ton of clever, supportive, and incredibly creative people who not only helped the community to understand how to run the module well, but also how to enhance and improve upon it. So our guest tonight is one of the subreddit's moderators and is the author of Curse of Strahd Reloaded, one of the subreddit's most massive and comprehensive guides. On top of this, he's the writer behind many extremely helpful and insightful articles found over at flutesloot.com, such as how to engage your D&D players with dramatic questions, one of my favorites, and D&D fundamental combat tactics for players and DMs, just to name a few. Last but certainly not least, he was the initial driving force and DM for Twice Bitten, a podcast slash Twitch show and YouTube show where five Curse of Strahd DMs journey back into the mists to explore a purely rules-as-written, unmodified playthrough of the campaign, which has become one of my absolute favorite podcasts and has inspired me to get to know and introduce you all to the wonderful people involved with it. So, in lieu of any further ado, it is my distinct honor and pleasure to welcome to the show the biting teeth and devious mind of Twice Bitten, the one and the only Dragna Carta. Well, dang. Thank you very much for the extremely flattering introduction. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic to be here. <laughs> Uh, I know that we've You're been welcome. talking about this for a while, so I'm uh, glad that I was finally able to come on. Me too. Me too. I'm very, very excited to have you here. Um, and thank you for taking the time. I know <laughs> you're uh, you're constantly <laughs> busy, but uh, I really appreciate it. Well, I should say we really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, because I, I, I too appreciate not... <laughs> it. He didn't want to assume, you know. Uh, but yeah, yes, no. I, I too am pleased. Thank you for coming. And oh, absolutely. Great, intro, great intro, Andrew. I almost said great, Andrew. Not incorrect. Absolutely. And hey, honestly, you know, you know, any any opportunity I get, you know, I think that any one of my players or friends could tell you just how much of an insufferable soapboxer I am when it comes to anything D&D related. So uh, really, I should be thanking you for giving me an excuse to run my mouth. Hey, you know, if, if anything, uh, we love to be a soapbox. So, yeah. So. Before we dive in, how's everybody doing? Anybody do anything interesting today? Well, I actually uh, finished one of the uh, articles uh, you mentioned. I, I've been working with Flute oh, nice. Salute to push out a new one. I uh, just put out the uh, rough draft to my uh, the members of my Patreon on the Patreon Discord. Ooh, I'm uh, going to look at that. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Um, I've been working on a I'm piece sure all about um, how to adapt the text of 5th edition modules to your actual session notes or session prep. You know, something that I found is that, you know, for mm. me personally, I like to be able to look down at my notes and just instantly know what I'm doing at a glance. I like having this kind of holistic idea in my mind of, you know, where the session might go and the components that might move around with it. But, you know, 
uh, fifth edition Damn, modules nice. are written in such a, you know, they're written in a very strongly narrative style that is very entertaining mm. to read, but is absolutely insufferable uh, and impossible when it comes to actually, you know, looking down at the page in the middle of a session and actually yep. getting something useful out of it. I think there was, it was a mm-hmm. uh, developer mm-hmm. of Pathfinder that said that, you know, the vast majority of the people who buy their modules will never run them. And that's their target demographic. So, hmm. you know, that's really fascinating, to be honest, like just the uh, the fact that it's it's a product being produced to be sold, not necessarily solely to be a tool, but also as just an entertainment book in terms of just something you just sit down and read. Oh, absolutely. And if you take a look at, you know, by comparison, because obviously fifth edition and wizards are not the only game in town. Uh, for example, the mm. style of a lot of the OSR, old school renaissance uh, modules and, and uh, source books that have been published, uh, you know, on DMs Guild or for free on a number of websites online. Uh, they're a very dry, very clinical, very readable style mm. that prioritizes accessibility over, you know, say narrative enjoyment. So uh, oh. a wizard's produced module will, you know, very much go into, you know, this storytelling style that is very engaging to read but, you know, has these long paragraphs of text, whereas a mm-hmm. more accessible approach might involve, you know, just very basic subheadings, bullet points, very neat and clean organization, tables. But, you know, you're not going to read through that and use that as, you know, night table reading on a Sunday night just for the fun of it. You know, it, it's extraordinarily right. dry. So, you know, I, I empathize with wizards. They've got to, you know, balance their market and really understand who's buying these books. And unfortunately, what's good for their bottom line means that us mm. DMs, especially new DMs who are you know desperately trying to take something out of the book and run it wholesale very often, um, really have to struggle to make that work. I know, Adam, uh, yeah. you've been uh, you're you just wrapped uh, Storm Kings, right? Well, we're doing some what, what we call the, the, the DLC, the DLC, you know, that where I get to add my own stuff kind of on top of it because yeah, we had kind of an unsatisfying ending. And but, yeah, I definitely experiencing a lot of the same issues that you described, Dragnam, because it, it is um, unwieldy. It also has some difficulty in expecting what players will do. And it's certainly written with the expectations that players are a certain way, but it certainly doesn't capture, you know, the the variety of thought that's out there. And, uh, mm. The thing that I find most usable about these books, I suppose, is that you can look at them and basically steal ideas, right? And you can mm. be inspired. Uh, and like, if I ever do anything like Storm Kings again, it's not going to be hardly at all like like the book you know not to insult it or anything but it is uh it's definitely something i would i would borrow from i would say Mm. but i know that for for twice bitten dragna you know this is very much a uh a rules is written uh kind of thing and so you know i assume that you have you have a method that you use to make this more readable other than the fact that you've just done it a lot. Oh, absolutely. And um, this is, uh, I go through kind of a three-step process in the article I'm putting together. Hopefully it'll be live at some point soon, uh, if it's not already by the time this goes up. Um, and that basically my vision is, that, and I do this in my own session plans uh, when I'm prepping for Twice Bitten or whatever campaign I'm running, uh, which is I like to divide things into a few different categories. You know, uh, introduction, which is, you know, your box text, your technical details, you know, any history or lore that you as the DM need to internalize. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the details of the room. You know, if your players inspect a specific object or part of the environment, what will they see? What are the statistics for, you know, this rope bridge that they might break? Um, uh, you know, developments, what might change uh, about the area while they're there? You know, combats that might erupt, traps that might go off, conversations that might spark. Uh, you know, characters who's who's in the area. Uh, how can they be interacted with? What's their personality like? Uh, and then finally, combat. Just you know, very briefly, who or what is present that you know may pose hostile intent, and how uh, will they enter hostilities uh, if such hostilities mm-hmm. are initiated? And the nice thing about organizing it through those subheadings, and then you know, through uh, kind of bullet pointing with you know very clear bolded uh, titles for each of these you know little components that go into these subheadings, is that at a glance you can instantly look down and just immediately know exactly what you need and just pull that free. Uh, that's you know one of the formatting choices I've tried to you know make clear in the uh, session prep, uh, session plan templates and the sample session plans that I published on my Patreon. Because, you know, mm. for me, that organization, that, you know, lightning fast recall and parsing of information is very important to me because I, I don't want to spend more than, you know, one or two seconds looking down at my session plan before getting back to my players. Ideally, I can, you know, look at it while my players are saying whatever they're saying so that as soon as they look toward me to have a response, I already know what I'm going with. So, but we all have those moments where it's like, God dang, let me, let me check real quick. And it's. It's definitely much nicer when it actually is real quick. Right, or you tell a player to, oh, I'm sorry. Can you repeat what you just said? Because I was reading. Right. That happened. <laughs> that that happened to me last night. That, oh, yeah. Although it happens to the best of us, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I, that's that's absolutely true. And there are, you know, I, I will say, at least in the modules, they give you that sort of um, the, the colored box with the heading where you do read it verbatim and that's useful, but there's very little of that. And the rest of it is just paragraph after paragraph. And when it comes to, to storm Kings, especially it's like, okay, here's chapter three. I'm just to give you three paragraphs about every location in the North that they could possibly go to in (laughs) alphabetical order. It's just, you know, unwieldy is, is, is the least you could say about it. Yeah. That's that's a little that's a little rough. It's a little um, rough. Um, I haven't looked in the Curse of Strahd books. Uh, the two of you obviously have. Good boy. Is it Good a boy. is it a little <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, no spoilers. Because <laughs> I'm a newbie uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to Strahd. It was something I've always wanted to to experience because it's so classic. But um, and so that's why. Uh, I, I bought the module for Andrew. I got the special edition one, you know, with that, like that coffin design on the box. Oh yeah. The the revamped edition. Yeah. Yeah. And I sent that to him. I was like, no pressure. I'm so glad I didn't call (laughs) my guide revamped. I know lunch break heroes did. And he was so embarrassed that poor guy. Oh, did he have to change it? Yeah. He changed it to raise the stakes, I think. But you know, that was, Oh, that's still pretty good. Stakes. Oh, it was great. Like, it was great. Like, he's doing very well. Like, he's he's fantastic. But that was a that, that was an awkward moment all around. It's like, yeah, so I, I, I guess we've kind of jumped into it already. But, uh, l- l- you know, let me just ask you a question that I, I basically ask everybody who comes on who's a GM is, you know, and I guess we already have a taste of it. But what would you say is like your GMing style? Like, how would you describe yourself in like a word or two? So this is honestly kind of a tough question to answer. I actually asked it of a few of my players on Twitter uh, a few days ago. 
And one of the players uh, responded by saying that, you know, there are two types of GMs. Uh, you know, picture a boat in a storm. Uh, the, there are, you know, people on the boat. These are the players. Uh, the DM is either the boat or the captain. And uh, mm. or th- their description of me was that um, I am a captain DM. I'm, you know, the boats are mere vessels carrying the players where they want to go, whereas the captain tends to take a much, you know, more direct hand in managing, pushing and pulling, not in necessarily a, an oppressive way, uh, but, you know, always kind of keeping a hand on the tiller, uh, which was interesting to They're me. directly involved. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, you know, when first I heard, I uh, heard their description of me in that sense, I was like, you know, like, wait, I, I'm not, I'm not a railroader. I'm not some kind of linear DM. But you know, as I thought about right. it, it kind of made more sense. Where you know, uh, you know, obviously, I, I try not to, you know, restrict what my players can do, but I like to stay involved. I like to, you know, prompt them for what they're looking to do. I like to work in those things into the story. I like to, you know, try to uh, push and pull the narrative in certain respects and either incentivize certain decisions or certain plot threads and just try to keep this very, you know, active role in how the story develops, Um, you know. Well, I think you also like participating in the story, too. Like, you know, you you enjoy being part of the game. Yeah, I mean, look, something I always say is that, you know, DMs are players, too. Um, you know, I mean, on, yep. the, on the base level, you know, we are people who, who are playing a game and enjoy it and deserve to have fun with it. But on, on another level, you know, DMing is this kind of gamified logistical storytelling that, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know if, if, if you're someone whose mind really takes to that, uh, you know, there are, you know, forever DMs uh, by circumstance and there are forever DMs by choice. And I would definitely put myself in the latter camp just because, you know, all those levers and, you know, the way that running the game keeps my, keeps my mind and creativity engaged in so many different ways. Uh, I don't know how I could ever give that up, to be honest. Uh, do you have many or any opportunities to play anymore? Or like, do you even if you had the time, would you uh, would you actually turn down the opportunity to be a player and go, I'd rather DM and why don't you play? Uh, I mean, I, I do very rarely play. I'm currently in a Fandelver game that's being run by a friend of mine uh, cool. who pre- was previously a player in another campaign that I ran. Uh, it's, you know, his hmm. first time DMing, so he's kind of easing into it. Like, I, I know Fandelver like oh. the back of my hand, but, um, you know, sure. it, it's fun to play dumb and just kind of go along with the story. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and plus he's made a bunch of weird, wacky revisions to it that I'm really digging. Like, uh, there, there's a, I guess, spoilers for Fandelver, if by some reason you haven't uh, read the starter set for 5e. Um, you know, there's the town Thunder Tree where there's the uh, dragon Venomfang and her dragon cultists. And, you know, mm. we get there and, and this druid that's living in the town tells us, you know, hey, I will help you with your quest to rescue your friend from the goblins. But first you have to get these cultists out of town because I don't like them and I don't trust them. I mean, go to the cultists expecting them to be, you know, you know, human sacrificing or something. And they're kind of standing in a circle, you know, doing what seems to be like a little ritual or something. Um, you know, we tend to be kind of more diplomatic types. So we kind of stand off to the side and just let them finish. Um, and uh, they take like this strange hammer and uh, and impact it into the stake that's been driven into the ground and painted red like blood. Uh, and the first thing that comes out of the, you know, the leader of the circle's mouth is, well done, lads. Another good game of cricket. We'll see each other here next month. <laughs> And we're just like, what the heck is going on? Uh, <laughs> speaking of someone who's very used to knowing what's going on, you know, we're we're suddenly brought into you know these they're cultists, dragon cultists, but you know they're very classy, very posh. You know, they offer us tea and crumpets. Uh, it's a it's a fantastic but very strange time. So, 
Uh, just because we're cultists doesn't mean that we're just awful. Exactly. People. You know, to uh, to uh, quote Wreck It Ralph, just because you are a bad guy does not mean you are a bad guy. <laughs> That's right. That's good old right. Zangief. Uh, oh man. Yeah. Uh, no, it's uh, totally true. I mean, it's not like it's the whole day, right? Uh, so that's, that's great. I'm a little surprised to be honest. I I've only listened to a few episodes of twice bitten, but I've, I've, my impression was that you were very hands off. You, you allow the players a lot of time to, to talk amongst themselves and to kind of drive their own drama as far as I can tell. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, for me, that's part and parcel of DMing, right? You know, there's this, this, uh, functional loop of gameplay, right? where the DM puts out a prompt describing a situation or a location. Players describe what they want to do in response to that prompt. The DM adjudicates that response. And then, you know, the players react in some way uh, to that adjudication, which then sets up the next prompt. Um, you know, obviously, you know, that, that's how I tend to approach it. I don't view my role as, you know, to manage the players in game. Their decisions are their own. My job is to provide, you know, the backdrop, the setting, you know, to run the stage upon which the actors play. But mm. something that people viewing the stream don't see is that I'm very active behind the scenes. You know, I it's a rare week that goes by where I don't message a player and say, you know, hey, let me know your goals and priorities for next week. Or, hey, I just thought of, you know, this thing. Uh, how would you like to approach it in the next session? Or, you know, uh, just, just checking in or, you know, uh, uh, speaking with players, you know, mentioning certain scenes that might come up in upcoming sessions or, you know, following up on certain quest lines or information to see how they're processing it or to see where they're at. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, that that's all very off screen, so to speak. Uh, but, you know, that that OOC, that meta work, I feel is, you know, equally as if not more important than the work we do on the stage in the session. Because, mm. um, you know, as, as much as a lot of people might think that, you know, what happens in the session stays in the session and everyone just kind of isolates themselves before that and then just comes and plays and then leaves. Um, you know, D&D is a you know, I see it as a very regular commitment, right? You know, if, if yeah. you're, um, you know, on a traveling, you know, uh, you know, competitive uh, soccer team, you know, you're not going to just show up for games and then leave. No, you, you've got, you know, scrimmages, you're going to keep in touch with your teammates, you know, you maybe you'll be hanging out socially, like hmm. there's, there's a real relationship there. Uh, and it's not something you just, you know, go and forget about. So for me, that kind of active back and forth is very important to the way that I approach my games. You know, yeah. and I, I think, um, that I I was going to save this for later, but I think that that is like the perfect opportunity to throw a little segue in here um, because uh, Dragon, I was talking with you a little bit prior to the show. I want to say it was yesterday. Um, and we were talking about what uh, the same way we do with our other guests. We want to know what topic or topics are kind of near and dear to the guest's heart and what they really care about. And the uh, the topic that you ultimately uh, pitched to me kind of blew my mind when, uh, when I first read it. And hopefully this uh, boiled down little bit here kind of encompasses it well. But basically, the... Um, the misconception of the sanctity of isolated session prep like you the dm when the when the session finishes we go our separate ways the dm you know isolates in their bunker and they 
prep their face off until it's game time again. Then everybody reconvenes and the DM unveils their all their plans and what have you. And you you take a decidedly different approach that when you told me about it was really, really intriguing. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, kind of been something I've been putting together, especially with Twice Bidden. It's been, you know, kind of a way that I approach my games in general, but never really crystallized until I started the uh, the current uh, run through, um, mm-hmm. which is that, you know, D&D at its core is a kind of collaborative storytelling. Like this is, you know, if, if someone asked me to describe D&D to someone who had never heard of it before, I would say, you know, oh, it's collaborative storytelling with dice. Like that is the most succinct totally. way that I can think of to put it. And, you know, part of, you know, collaborative storytelling means that it is a collaborative production. You know, you are working with other people around the table to create some kind of creative product that, you know, you know, you're not producing it for anyone outside of your your friend group necessarily. Um, you know, e- even if you're, you know, streaming it or, you know, sharing it in some other way, you're still producing it for yourselves primarily. But, sure. you know, you are you not still consuming that content? Are you not there to, you know, enjoy the story and enjoy the experience um, as mm-hmm. players and as a DM? And so in my mind, when you're having that kind of collaborative production, you're looking for a satisfying product. You're looking for something that's enjoyable, that's memorable. Um, you know, if you go into, a, you know, a game of Risk or Monopoly, for example, you know, you're looking for a game that's... Um, you know, that that's high stakes and memorable and a really, you know, enjoyable social experience. Um, but with D&D, you get to take it to the next level where there's a steeper level of narrative, of flexible rules, of, you know, collaborative effort. And, you know, the nice thing is that you get to really tailor the experience to where you want it to be. Uh, but the kind of footnote to that is that if you're looking to get a certain something out of your game, be that, you know, a certain epic story, some really, you know, stunning character moments, um, you know, there's this really deep historical lore, um, you know, really tense combat scenes. You know, if you're looking to get those things out of the game, out of the story, you need to make sure you're having regular out-of-character conversations at, rather than just, you know, siloing yourself and, you know, funneling your efforts into this individual stream into the game while everyone else is the same. And then just hoping that by some divine providence, the thing you're looking for will mm. come out the other end. I think that that's uh where a lot of uh where a lot of gms wind up facing a lot of disappointment because they they are trying to achieve those big moments um but at the same time i, I at least instinctively for myself you know they you worry about spoilers or you know ruining surprises that you have set up or um you know, you want to keep things feeling fresh for the players. So you feel like if you just discuss the planning and everything that that would just ruin it all, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I do I do think there's something to be said for the kind of spoiler culture that we're in that, you know, would probably take its own podcast. Yeah. Um, or, you know, you know, there's, there's so much fear of, you know, spoilers and so much uh, desire to avoid spoilers that the experience itself is somehow compromised. Um, but, you know, on its own, I think, you know, it's important to remember that, you know, if, if, if you're, well, let me put it this way, if you're a lover of books, if you, you know, read for fun, especially if you were a kid who read for fun, you know that one of the things that we do is we read books more than once. Like I have read the Harry mm. Potter series, the Wheel of Time series, the Dresden Files series, you know, whatever, like more times than I can count. And I know how the books end. I know where they're going. I know what's mm-hmm. happening. But the experience, the journey to get there 
um, is part of the pleasure of consuming that narrative. And so, you know, with D&D, obviously, you know, we love the surprises. As DMs, we get a lot of utility and a lot of enjoyment and value out of, you know, pulling those twists and, you know, seeing our players react live to these, um, you know, manipulations, these maneuvers, these, you know, schemes that we pull out and reveal. And, and it's incredibly satisfying what happens. But, you know, look at something simple. Look at something like triggers, right? Um, which have been very importantly involved in a lot of conversations in D&D, especially around session zero topics, you know, where if mm. your player has a certain trigger associated with a traumatic event or topic, you know, you want to avoid or obfuscate the triggering uh, issue as best you can in your games. And so at sometimes that might not be entirely clear. You might have something planned for an upcoming session uh, and then you realize, oh no, I'm not sure if this runs afoul of one of my player's triggers. And, you know, you might mm. hesitate, you know, oh, I don't want to spoil anything. It's really a pivotal moment. Um, but, you know, you want your player to be comfortable. You want them to enjoy the experience and, you know, come away from it feeling like this was a good time for them and not something that totally. was making them uncomfortable. So, you know, of course, you know, uh, you know, in my view, I'm going to message that player and say, hey, you know, I'll, I'll frame it in, you know, broad or vague terms, but I'm going to make as clear as I can, you know, what about it they might find objectionable and then see what they think. Because I don't want to run a situation, no matter how good the plot twist might be in my head, where I'm making my player feel uncomfortable, especially in a potential right. triggering or traumatic way. So, you know, just taking that specific example and broadening it to the entire sphere of, you know, setting up epic moments or framing tense combats and just generally making sure that everyone is having the most enjoyable experience that they're looking for, I think is a very important and uh, kind of freeing way of looking at the game. Because, uh, you, know, you know, one way to say it is, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same, expecting different results. Where we keep mm. funneling our efforts into gameplay, um, just expecting for it to manifest, you know, the perfect story that we're looking for. And sometimes it works. Sometimes we're all on the same page or just by, you know, divine providence, things work out and there's a great story to tell. But a lot of the time, and this is where you see a lot of, you know, problem player stories coming from, you know, in RPG horror stories or the DM Academy uh, player problem thread, where there's a, mis there, there's a miscommunication. There's a breakdown of expectations. Um, you know, I know that I've run combats or encounters where my understanding of what was happening diverged from my player's understanding. And because we didn't pause and take the time to work things out, and because, you know, maybe I didn't lay the groundwork in prior sessions, um, you know, things went awry. There was a mismatch. There was a disjunction. And uh, neither one of us was fully satisfied with the outcome of that encounter. And, you know, afterwards we talked through it and we, we came to a better understanding of each other's perspectives and were able to, you know, have a better sense of what to do moving forward. Uh, but, you know, just the willingness to have those conversations is so important. And it's something that I see a lot of DMs, especially new DMs, who are very into the game component of the game, but not so much understanding the social management part of the game. Uh, it's something that's very mm. often missed. And I think, you know, it's it's really something that, you know, needs to be brought to the forefront a lot more often than it currently is. So that that story that you allude to, I would be interested in, I, I, I don't know, maybe you don't want to say, but, you know, I think it would be valuable for people to know what that experience is like, would you be, would you be willing to share details? Like what happened? So I think, you know, just speaking in broad terms, I don't want to get into anything uh, too nitty gritty. Um, just because, you okay. know, obviously the particulars of my campaign and the particulars of others' campaigns, you know, everyone's stories are unique, but um, you know, one, one thing that, you know, I've, I've approached my campaigns is that, you know, I like to run campaigns where, you know, characters develop, where you have complex yeah. PCs uh, and, you know, uh, there's, there's a common term in, you know, fiction writing, you know, want versus need, uh, right. where a character wants something 
uh, or thinks they want something, what they really need uh, is something else entirely. You know, like an avatar, uh, The Last Airbender. Zuko wants to capture the avatar and restore his honor, but he needs to gain a measure of self-respect and define his identity outside of the father who doesn't care for him. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that mat- that maturation and that character arc is really a really important framing device. And something I get very excited about when it comes to, you know, supporting players who are trying to scaffold those kinds of stories. My mistake in a particular instance was misunderstanding when uh, when a player was trying to develop a character in a certain way and kind of providing the context for what I thought would uh, progress that character um, along what I thought to be their character arc. When in reality, that player, you know, wasn't entirely what uh, was not on the same page. They did not see it the same way that I did. Uh, they thought their character was heading somewhere different. They thought that the scene was set up in, you know, an unhelpful way. And, mm. you know, if I had, you know, bothered to speak with the player in advance about, you know, my expectations and where I thought that 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 interaction was going to go before it even happened. I mean, sure, maybe it would have been a little less organic, uh, but the, it would have been, you know, much more likely to be a, a satisfying uh, narrative experience that you know, would have left everyone feeling better off and better fulfilled from a story and character perspective than what ultimately happened, which was quite a bit more messy than that. So, you know, just Mm. checking with your players, you know, don't just assume you know where they're going or where they want to go, Um, both from, you know, a character perspective and just a basic storytelling perspective. You know, it's okay to ask your players. It's okay to check in. It's okay to, you know, suggest things to them, to bounce ideas off of them. Uh, don't feel like everything you do needs to be a twist or is setting the stage for some inevitable sort of plot development. Because um, the players, you know, have real narrative agency as well. And it's important that we take the time to listen to them and make sure that we're letting them steer the ship a little bit as well, rather than just, you know, unilaterally deciding that we're the only ones who can take the wheel. That's very important, I find, because I, I, I might say that D&D players are often creative types. And certainly, I think as a GM, I like to have some surprise from my players, but therein can lie some conflict because yeah. as creative types, we each have our sort of own vision that we're trying to get across. But if we're going to make that storytelling experience collaborative, then perhaps we do need to collaborate, collaborate, you might say. Yeah, (laughs) indeed. I think this is just Uh, something that that I personally struggle with sometimes. And so I I find it to be an interesting point. You know, Adam, I'm I'm interested with us discussing this. um, How how do you think because this this sounds familiar. uh, It sounds like what you experienced you and your players experienced at the at least as written conclusion of storm kings mm-hmm. how do you how do you think that conclusion might have been impacted differently had you been discussing back and forth with all the players um about the things that would be involved in the conclusion of the adventure um, ahead of time. Yeah, I think I know where you're going. It, it is. Um, I don't know if that was necessarily the crux of the problem as much mm-hmm. as is I should have experienced Curse of Strahd first to learn how to like run a villain. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and like, but I, but I do hear you, and I and I hear Dragna too when when you're saying collaborate more behind the scenes because mm. then, I mean, it's not like that's going to result in in disaster. But I think right. a lot of times, um, especially if you are a career GM, uh, by choice or not, as as you put it, Dragna, you know. A lot of times I think we get the impression of I am here to present something to you. Yes. And perhaps perhaps that's not the approach, and particularly with with uh, more experienced players who have very different impressions. And we all have our different perceptions and the way that we see characters and the way we see moments and character development can be can be very different from one another. So it's important to communicate. But, you know, to that end, Dragna, I want to ask you. You know, how do you still maintain a certain sense of, you know, let's say mystery or wonder and surprise? Yes, not everything needs to be a twist, but not everything can be uh, prescripted. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, in general, the the tack that I take, and I'm honestly going to be pretty interested in seeing how this turns out uh, in the Twice Bitten cast's next uh, campaign when we transition to Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, Frostbitten, uh, mm. obligatory title drop. Good name, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, I can't remember if I came up with it or if someone else did, but, you know, what the hell it's is it? It's very on brand. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, with Curse of Strahd, you know, we're, we're playing with a group of five Curse of Strahd DMs, so everyone's kind of plugged into the campaign already. You right. know? There are some foggy details, Definitely. like not everyone remembers what creatures are in what rooms of the Ember Temple sure. or, you know, what traps are in Castle Ravenloft. But like on the whole, like people know what they're there for and they know what the major twists in terms of the story are. Uh, mm. You know, uh, when, in that sense, you know, I do what I can to innovate, to keep things fresh, to try to interpret the module as best I can in a certain unique way. Um, and, you know, most of the time I, I feel like that's worked out pretty nicely. Uh, but with, you know, a more original campaign where the players are not entirely sure what's coming next. Um, for me, the way I look at it is that there are situations and there are stories, Right. Uh, and the stories, you know, can and should always have the player's input to a certain extent. So like th that is a collaborative experience where the story is actually the narrative that unfolds throughout the campaign. This is the, your character development. This is, you know, um, you know, notable, notable decisions that the characters make. This is, you know, the, their priorities and how the party evolves and grows over time um, as they, you know, move to meet new threats and challenges. But situations, um, these are the inciting incidents. These are the hooks. These are the, um, mm. the quakes that protrude and disrupt the status quo that the players are forced to react to. And in doing so, create the story um, by virtue of their responses. But these situations, um, these prompts uh, that the players have to respond to, for me, that's where I view my DM, you know, creativity and originality really shining um, because these are opportunities for me to create uncertainty in my players, you know, as they question what's really going on behind the scenes. This is where I push and pull and poke at them, um, you know, kind of uh, seeing which way I can move them and how I can force them to uh, deal with the evolving situations. Um, you know, obviously in terms of this evolving story and how the characters are involved, I, I'm going to be checking in with the players themselves, but the situations, you know, these are places where, 
you can explore all of those plot twists, those reveals to your heart's content. Um, you know, as long as you have a general sense of how your players might react and how they might take to them by, you know, again, that those collaborative out-of-game efforts. Um, I think, you know, ultimately as DMs, we love setting the stage. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I think, you know, uh, uh, Adam, you mentioned, you know, DMs coming and trying to, you know, tell a story of some kind. I think that a lot of us come to the table as DMs expecting to, you know, tell our version of the Lord of the Rings or, you know, Harry Potter or Star Wars or Aragon or what have you, when really, you know, the players are the ones telling that narrative. Uh, but, you know, for us DMs, we can, the one thing that we really excel at is the one thing that many of us really love, which is setting that stage, you know, world building, plot building, lore building. Um, and that's where we can really inject our personality. That's where we can really put in our creativity, that spark, that reveal, that twist, uh, you know, that that our, our hope is to really surprise and hopefully delight our players in the process. Delight. I think that is really what I, what I want to strive for. That's, and, that's know, such that, a good word to, you know, I want to, I love inspire delight, that sort of thing. These are, these are great words. The, the uh, delight is not necessarily the word I would use for, <laughs> for curse of Strahd. Um, but, but <laughs> that's a we fair point. have last night's session. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it went went pretty well. So I guess I might say, what do you mean by delight when it comes to when it comes to a, a much darker adventure? Mm-hmm. That's a fair question, and I think you know, um, delight is kind of a flexible word, and maybe it's not the right term to use in this particular instance. Maybe a, a more broad catch-all term might be, you know, uh, incite or engage. Right? Like uh, this is the yeah. moment when you know. Uh, if you're watching a horror film and there's uh, the monster leaps out when you shriek and you you know you shy back in your seat or you cover your eyes, it's the moment in a romance where you're on the edge of your seat wondering will they or won't they. It's a moment in a tragedy where you feel your 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 tears welling up and you feel your your throat trembling because you're just so moved by the uh, images, by the narration, the dialogue of what you're observing on the screen or on the page. And, you know, for D&D, one thing that we as DMs can do is paint these, you know, vivid pictures, these these stirring images and uh, twist the plots and, and narratives that we spin in certain ways that can really engage our player senses, you know, incite their curiosity. And, you know, um, you know, ultimately, because they do come to the table to be engaged, um, to be engaged is, I guess you could say, a delight. Uh, you know, if, if you're leaving a mm. horror movie and you came there to be scared and you're leaving, you know, thoroughly shaken down to your the bottom of your pants, you know, would you not say <laughs> that you were delighted by what you yes. uh, experienced at the horror film? Um, so that's I think it's a, all a matter of... That's a great you know, way to put it. Thank you. I think it's all a matter of, you yeah. know, kind of, you know, anticipating what, rea- what reaction, what experience, what emotion they're looking to satisfy in the story that all of you mm. are telling, not just the DM, but that all of you are putting together and then doing what you can to fulfill and satisfy those expectations in as I was, creative a I way you can. Just, I was just thinking that maybe then delight could be synonymous with the, with the satisfaction of expectations. Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I agree. Creating engagement is something that we always strive for i'm i'm in education i teach high school and uh we're we're rated (laughs) on our engagement it's something i i often do well sometimes it's it's harder in uh, a role-playing setting where everyone is online and your show 
do you you don't record locally or do you um we record um a few different avenues we we use streamlabs uh, obs streamlabs for our, our recording to twitch um, that takes down audio via Discord. Uh, we also have a Discord bot uh, that records all the incoming audio as well. I don't know if we've experimented with taking local audio, but it's something we might take a look at. I guess where I'm going with that is when I run a game in person, I find it much easier to engage players. And I, I wonder, if is it just, you know, I think part of it is the amount of distractions that are available. But do you have any tips as far as um, creating engagement or maintaining engagement when we cannot see each other. So that's that's definitely tough. I mean, virtual spaces, digital tables are worlds removed from you know physical meat space, so to say, uh, yeah. uh, game tables. And I think for me, it really comes down to setting the scene and creating uh, a visual and auditory experience, right? Um, you know, for me, I run on Foundry, uh, a VTT. Um, and one of the things that you can do is have, you know, MP4s or, you know, JPEGs or, you know, other images up on the screen for each scene that your players are currently at. So one thing that we do is, uh, we take, uh, animated, uh, images from the Curse of Strahd module that have been, uh, beautifully rendered by James RPG Art on Patreon. Um, and for each scene, each location... We have that up on screen, so the players are engaged visually. They have a they can kind of place themselves in the scene and have a sense of where their characters are and how they're moving through it. Uh, we're actually going to be going a little more granular for that for Castle Ravenloft. We've got a very special map maker that we might be featuring, so I'm very excited about that. Um, but you know, and, and beyond that, from you know, audit, auditory perspective, you know, I find it essential to have mood music, to have ambiance. You know, it always. Uh, you know, just there in the background, you know, have a diverse assortment of playlists. Uh, you know, I, I tend to organize my playlists by mood. So I have a mood for for dread, for horror, for melancholy, for joy, for peace, um, you know, for sadness. Uh, and just kind mm-hmm. of switching between them as the tone of the scene and of the session shifts. Um, and if you can match that playlist to the mood of the scene, then, and especially if you have, you know, location-specific ambiance in the background, be it, you know, rainfall, thunder, uh, the yes. sound of, you know, horse-drawn carriages, a bustling market square, uh, it really helps bring your players into the emotional and physical core of the location and scene that the characters are currently within. And I find that, for me, it really helps, you know, uh, plant me in the scene uh, so that my mind mm. and attention are not wandering elsewhere. Though I know, obviously, for people with, you know, uh, you know ADD, ADHD, you know, it can be very challenging. So I can't speak to that, but, you know, just speaking in, in my own I experience. Can. <laughs> I I definitely can. And uh, I know it wasn't our last session, but I think the session before, I uh, I typically use Sirenscape for, uh, for our games. And something wonky was going on with my browser, and it wasn't working. And that happened, like right as we were getting going to uh, run the session. So out of nowhere, I just didn't have any any background audio, no music, no sound effects, nothing. And it totally screwed with my head and totally threw me off. Um, well, we've been on it for so long. You know, we've been using music every time and we, we know, used to not... And now that we that now when you go without it, you're like, oh, man, this is uncomfortable. (laughs) Right. 
and I mean, now, now that I think about it, that session, when that happened, was the session when you guys met Strahd. And when you did is when the music and stuff kicked in and started working again. Oh, that's man. What a lifesaver. That story is uh, cursed. It's literally (laughs) cursed. That, uh, that, that was actually your, um, your black carriage, uh, devil's crossroads scene Dragnos. So Adam, you can, (laughs) you can thank him to his face. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed it for a certain definition of enjoy. <laughs> I, I hope, I hope you, you were delighted, delighted by it. <laughs> delighted, yes. I'm not sure that is the word I would use, um, but I but I think I should perhaps because as much as it made my character quite anxious and me by extension, it was certainly memorable. And I think I'll, I'll be referring to it uh, for a long time to come. So yes, uh, horror is not the way I typically enjoy myself. Um, I don't usually like to feel these feelings, but I wanted to get out. I don't watch horror films. Um, you know, I've seen like the thing end of list, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like it's, there hasn't been much uh, it's, it's not my jam, but I did want to get out of my own way. I did want to open that horizon. I was like, that's, this is ridiculous. So I'm trying to run a D and D podcast. I've never played curse of Strahd. It's really dumb, right? Like <laughs> I need to get into that. I need to try it. So it was definitely a different way of interfacing with the game because it's often very much a power fantasy, which I like, but we also want to have more varied experiences. Well, and I think it also um, warrants saying that uh, since the beginning of our Curse of Strahd campaign to now, I've seen you really make some major strides, especially after we had a few um, out-of-game conversations where I I tried to collaborate <laughs> I well yeah but I I also tried to make it more clear about the kind of vibe and everything that I was looking to achieve and hoping to experience with you guys yeah. um and and to try to get on that same page because like you can't fault anyone for enjoying what they enjoy. And I'll be the first to admit the power fantasy is freaking fun. Like that's, that is my jam for sure. Um, and trying to go in this other direction where you're experiencing vulnerability, you're experiencing fear, you're experiencing horror and terror and all these different feelings, even, even just uncertainty or confusion. Um, they're these vulnerable feelings that are like the antithesis of feeling powerful. Uh, and especially in the past few sessions we had, um, you have done an exceptional job of taking your character Jasper and allowing him to be vulnerable and to be scared and to be sensitive. Like the, the dance in the hallway that 
Jasper had with Willow, his wife, last night. Dragna, they were on the top floor of the of the winery near the uh, at the end of the hall where the printing press is. Jasper had just come up after having uh, taken a little bit of a breather after they had cleaned out the winery. He and one of his uh, sons were down in the cellar and they popped a few bottles of the Red Dragon Crush and Jasper got himself a little buzzed and he went upstairs to look for his wife to see how she was doing, how she was getting on, what she was up to. And he had this wonderful, sensitive moment where they just kind of connected in this place. And it was, it was something that I, it completely caught me off, caught me off guard. I did not see it coming and you guys just ran with it and it, it was beautiful. I think that, that, that moment comes from that kind of, because by the way, Dragna, our, our characters were estranged as a couple. Yes. And and I think that part of that delight that you're talking about, because like, how do you find delight in horror is because of that, that pain you endure that allows you to change your perspective. Mm. I don't know. What do you think about that? Because you haven't spoken in a while. <laughs> oh, no, I, I think <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's a beautiful moment. And like for me, that's a lot of what I love most about, you know, RPGs and, and TTRPGs like D&D is you get those, you know, those organic, really meaningful character moments that are byproducts of and fuel for the overall narrative that are really meaningful to the players involved. Um, you know, so, so in that sense, I think that's wonderful. And I think that, you know, you know, being really upfront and, you know, clear, like, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Andrew, uh, you know, speaking with your players about the kind of experiences you're looking to foster and, you know, creating those openings and letting the players know that, you know, you're eager and more than happy for them to fill those openings. Um, I think that's such an important, you know, line of communication to have, you know, especially when that line of communication is missing and when the DMs don't mm. make clear their expectations and the players can act in a certain way and the DM wants them to act in a different way, that can contribute to so many, you know, breakdowns of communication and a lot of frustrations in game that can, you know, actually erupt in explosive waves. Whereas if, you know, the DM and players are working together, you get, you know, like, like you said, these really beautiful moments because everyone's on the same yeah. page, everyone's collaborating you know, it, it's like, you know, pick, picture a stage, a, a play on a, on a theater stage. And, you know, sure, the actors are going to go on stage and the DM's going to put up the props and, you know, paint the decorations. But, you know, while you're off the stage, even if it's all improvisation up there, you can still workshop. You can still discuss your expectations. You can talk about what's going to happen up there and, you know, really share an understanding of what, you know, narrative you're trying to create. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. So you have mentioned and made metaphors to the theater a few times do we have a theater background uh not even slightly i i have some experience oh. in uh fiction and screenwriting um but certainly not theater but oh. i guess i'm a sucker for a good metaphor <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a bad one too but a metaphor nonetheless i'll take a bad metaphor that's just fine <laughs> yeah, i'm i'm very surprised um i guess it's a i guess it's an easy place to go uh, for it. Not a theater person, huh? What'd you do in high school? <laughs> uh, mostly just existed. I was, uh, I was, I was a <laughs> percussionist, so I lost my eardrums. Certainly. Oh, oh my I, goodness. I played the drums too. It's good times, man. Good times. Love those timpani. Oh, it's, it's a lot of fun. 
And now, now you just use percussion on your players in an emotional sense. <laughs> exactly. I mean, really, if, if you as DM can't slam the cymbals next to your player's ears, are, are you even living? <laughs> the answer to that is no, you're not. You're just no, not. the answer to that is what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. What I, are you working on now? That's that's what I want to mm. like. It, not in terms of like, what is your like your latest business venture or whatever, but like in terms of what do you want to learn about GMing for yourself? Like where, mm. how are you trying to grow? That's a really good question. And I think, you know, for me, it does kind of come back to um, uh, the Rhyme of the Frostbaiting campaign that I have coming up mm. where, you know, I, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to be blunt, you know, Curse of Strahd, was, um, you know, aside from a few homebrew campaigns that, you know, kind of failed to launch in, you know, one or two efforts at Vandelver, Curse of Strahd has been my main entree into 5th edition D&D. And, you know, before mm. that, I, you know, kind of fiddled with 4E. I, you know, had uh, half, you know, a few sessions in Pathfinder. Um, you know, I ran one homebrew campaign to completion in 5E, but I'd already started playing Curse of Strahd before then. Um, so kind of, you know, and, and, and over the years, I've learned so much, you know, taken so many tips and tricks from other DMs, learned, you know, strategies, uh, mechanisms, systems for storytelling, um, that what I'm really interested in is, you know, taking this really holistic approach to um, building a campaign, scaffolding these kinds of stories, uh, creating interesting encounters. Um, you know, one thing that I, you know, I was doing earlier today, I uh, just, cause I was, I was, I was bored and needed another project to work on was just kind of laying out, uh, some brainstorming for the first quest of, uh, my vision of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, which, you know, unlike Twice Bitten is not even slightly rules as written is an absolute, um, abomination compared to the original module, which I'm very happy with, um, <laughs> very little resemblance, uh, in, in some important ways. And, you know, for me, part of the fun of it was trying to take these kind of theoretical con theoretical concepts that I've picked up, you know, uh, about, you know, designing interesting encounters, about, you know, th the trajectory of fear and horror, of, you know, understanding character incentives, of building interesting locations and, you know, uh, developing secrets and clues to seed and uh, push and pull uh, player character uh, ideas and uh, attitudes um, for me, a lot of, you know, kind of building these, you know, very theoretical concepts that I've taken from these wonderful TTRPG and D&D communities over the years and building this, you know, functional strategy that I can use in a reliable way um, is something that, you know, I'm hoping to keep working on um, just because, I mean, I, I've always taken a lot of joy in building uh, these worlds and building these narratives, these stages for players to participate. Um, but, you know, a lot of the time, you know, especially before Twice Bitten and, you know, uh, before Reloaded, it's been a lot of, you know, kind of stumbling through the air and just kind of making it up as I go. You know, part of the reason why I'm so eager to revisit my Curse of Strahd guide series, Re Curse of Strahd Reloaded, is that a lot of it was built very piecemeal. Like the first, you know, inst installations, the first chapters uh, were very much me assembling kind of this Wikipedia of, you know, uh, improvisations and community changes that I thought worked particularly well together in this kind of, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica kind of sense. And then as it went on, I started adding more and more of my own content, especially as I started to run out of community content and kind of creating this entire mythos and, and platform and, and setting for myself that I felt worked really well to fill in the gaps of the original uh, campaign. But by that point, I, you know, reached the end of the road and I looked back and I had, you know, been laying down train tracks instead of, you know, subway mm. tracks. And I had to find some way of reconciling them, uh, which has been kind of a, a challenge moving forward. So for me, you know, uh, starting with Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, and I don't, I, I'm not, 
arrogant enough to think that, you know, I'm going to get everything right. Like, you know, hubris is probably my biggest, you know, personal failing, but, you know, even my ego is not that big, right? So <laughs> what, something I'd like to really try to work on is, you know, having that reliable methodology of having that robust tool set that I can turn to, to build these sessions in a way that, you know, is not exceptionally labor intensive. That's not going to consume my every waking moment, um, but that will allow me to work very efficiently and very effectively in creating those scenarios that will, you know, as we've said, delight my players as best I can. How are we going to create that sense of delight and write them of the, of the Frost Maiden? What is that tone going to be? And so, mm-hmm. as it is different from Curse of Strahd. Sure. So for Curse of Strahd with me, um, and, you know, obviously I, I've, I've taken a bunch of different tacks in Curse of Strahd, right? With, you know, Reloaded, I, 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 I've said that Curse of Strahd is actually three genres in one, depending on how you run it. You can run it as gothic horror, dark fantasy, or survival horror. Um, dark, mm-hmm. fa- dark fantasy being, you know, this very, you know, Witcher-esque gray morality where, you know, you are ultimately heroes slaying monsters, but you have to delve into corruption and uncertain moral decisions. And there's a lot of stress and anxiety and tension down to the wire of every decision you make. Um, and, you know, gothic horror, which is this kind of deep-seated, you know, romantic with a capital R, romantic period style, uh, you know, terror where it's about the darkness of the heart of man. It's about cowardice and fear and moral rot. It's about, you know, the monster that lingers within one's soul and conquering that or falling to it, um, which, you know, promotes a lot less heroic uh, angles to things and, you know, encourages the players to really, you know, play in an intelligent and thoughtful uh, way that, you know, really encourages them to evolve beyond their baser, unheroic instincts. Um, mm. Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, as I see it, is an entirely different beast. Now, I will say that as written, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. And this is one of my critiques of it. And, you know, I, I don't begrudge anyone who really enjoys the module. It's a, it's a lovely campaign. Um, but uh, a lot of the marketing around the module got me very excited. It's funny, you mentioned the thing earlier. I was, you know, uh, Wizards seem to be promoting this, you know, kind of Lovecraftian, you know, thing-esque, you know, Arctic Eldritch Adventure, which I was very excited for because, you know, it felt like they were bringing cosmic horror into Match D and, uh, to Match Curse of Strahd's gothic horror. Uh, but what we got ultimately felt a lot more like, you know, Lost Mind of Thundelver uh, or, you know, Dragon of Ice Spire Peak, um, where it was just kind of this motley assortment of, you know, adventures and standard D&D quest fare uh, that, you know, kind of mm. culminated in some, you know, somewhat cosmic horror adjacent areas, but never really drove it home. And for me, mm. a lot of what I found interesting about the setting of Icewind Dale, which, you know, uh, as per the module, and you know, this is just on the back cover, you know, it's it's this land that's been locked into this, you know, eternal winter for uh, a number of months, if not years, uh, that, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, kind of this natural uh, frozen magic that, you know, is slowly driving them to isolation, to desperation and starvation and extinction, perhaps, in the long term. There's, you know, um, this vast isolation from the rest of the world. Icewind Dale has been cut off from the rest of the Sword Coast, the rest of Faerun, Um and so, you know, you hmm. have these these cosmic horror elements that I'm looking to really bring out and accentuate because, you know, for me, those those settings present a, in my mind, a wonderful opportunity to really explore, you know, who are we as humans when the when the lights go out, when the temperature drops, when we are alone in the cabin and there's something on the other side of that door. Um, you know, those elements of paranoia, of mistrust, of isolation, uh, of, you know, uh, really understanding who we are. Um, when everything else is stripped away and left to freeze in the cold. Um, there is um, oh, that's a, a, a game. That's a great, <laughs> great way to put it. Like it Thank paints, you. it paints a very clear, clear, dramatic picture. Like as you were describing that, I was, I was imagining this 
picture in my head that almost had this sort of uh, Fargo-esque vibe to it where you've just got like frigid cold or I I don't know if you've ever seen um, Fortitude on Amazon Prime. Um, It takes place like I think in the Arctic or the subarctic and gets into the horror side of things and just uh, the way that that those kind of feelings can mesh up with the kind of uh, visceral nature of being in the cold and uh, having all the comfort and everything that we can tend to hide behind stripped away. It's that's a very compelling image. Absolutely. And, you know, I, 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 that, that sounds like a fascinating, uh, you know, uh, narrative. I haven't, I haven't, uh, checked that out myself, but I might have to add it to my list. You know, I, I think for me, you know, uh, ultimately, um, you know, like Curse of Strahd, where I viewed Barovia as, you know, this crucible for the forging of heroes from unlikely sources. You know, I, I, I love these horror stories because I ultimately do have, you know, a kind of an, an optimist's, you know, kind of, uh, core at the heart of these stories that I like to tell. Um, you know, for Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, you know, there was a game when I was asking for, you know, Lovecraftian influences to research uh, that I think someone on Twitter recommended to me called Night of the Woods, uh, Night in the Woods. And the tagline of that game is, you know, at the end of everything, hold on to anything. And, you know, a big theme running through the game is, you know, when you have your life falling away, when you feel, you know, your sanity fraying, when you feel, you know, like you have nothing else to lose it's important to turn to the people around you that you care about uh, in a, a universe that doesn't care about you and choose in defiance to care about others. And for me, that's a, that's a theme that I'm very interested in exploring in Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, where amidst the sea of mistrust, of paranoia and isolation in a, in a cosmic universe where the horrors beyond our world do not care who we are or what we believe in, gathering together our courage, our defiance, and choosing to create meaning in a meaningless universe spitting in the eye of an uncaring world. To me, that's a very powerful, uh, visceral theme. And it's something that I'm hoping to explore in the course of rhyme. Man, you're getting me amped up. <laughs> I am, I'm very I'm glad to hear super, that. I'm super stoked now. I'm like, okay, let's, uh, let's go listen to a couple episodes. Oh, they're, they're, they don't exist yet. Okay. Patience. Not yet. All right. We're hoping, hoping to, you know, <laughs> Twice Bids is probably going to wrap up. We're aiming for Halloween, but, you know, it's going to be a few because of a few delays. Might be a bit later than that. But Frostbitten mm. should roll in uh, a little, uh, probably a little after Christmas, I think, of 2021 this year. So, uh, so, you know, keep an eye out on that. We're hoping to keep it coming, and we're uh, very excited to get that campaign off the ground. It's going to be a whole new experience for quite a lot of us. Uh, that is a good sell. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it as well. Um, so our theme on the entire show is the secret ingredient is love. Mm-hmm. And this is something I, ha- I have to ask all the GMs and everyone that comes on. Um, I know it's a cheesy line, but at the same time, it seems to keep ringing true. And so I wonder how you feel the love plays into our enjoyment of this of this game or perhaps doesn't, in, in your opinion? No, I think it's incredibly important. And, you know, I think it's kind of interesting in, in you know, the word love because it's such a flexible term. You know, there, I think there's like, you know, seven different, different, you know, if you go back to the Greek language, seven different kinds of love. And I think, you know, in kind of a platonic and, you know, companionship sense, uh, it's, it's very important to love your players. 
Um, you know, because, you know, without them, you know, we've been talking about collaboration and, you know, communication all of this time. And, you know, as DMs, it's very easy for us to silo ourselves to, you know, think, you know, oh, um, I'm the one doing the work or, oh, I'm going to punish this player for doing something that I didn't want. Or, you know, mm-hmm. oh, um, you know, my players need to do what I expect them to um, without me necessarily telling them. And I think, you know, part of loving someone as, you know, as, as a friend or in any context is about valuing them as a mature partner in communication, uh, as, a, as, a, as a mature partner in that, in that relationship, whatever it might be. And so, you know, there are a lot of times where, you know, say, you know, uh, in, in a game, right, where uh, especially, say, a new DM has a, a new player's kind of, you know, acting out, causing a ruckus, you know, doing things that are kind of disruptive to the, to the experience of either the DM or the other players. Um, and the DM will just kind of let that happen because they're just kind of, you know, deal with it like, you know, let, let the child act out, you know, move on, you're babysitting, whatever, and then get back to your story. Whereas I think, you know, it, it's somewhat counterintuitive, but I think it's it's a real expression of love for your players and love for your table to kind of take a second and, you know, ensure that that line of communication is open, that you are exchanging thoughts and ideas and that you're on the same page um, because this is a social experience. This is not something that we're doing alone. This is not something that we can do alone. You know, if, if we wanted to play D&D alone, we could play Skyrim or we could write a book, but that we're not doing that. We're sitting around a table together. And I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind. Uh, we can't silo ourselves. We can't afford to isolate ourselves. Um, and so, you know, the secret ingredient is love. You know, like you said, it, it might sound corny or cheesy, but, you know, love and, you know, to as a kind of a, a, a secondary effect, respect for the other people sitting around the table, wow. dedicating their time, dedicating their emotional energy, their engagement, um, I think is incredibly important to creating an experience that not, that not only you, but that everyone around the table can enjoy and remember and be satisfied by. Mm. Well, I'm satisfied with that answer. Uh, I think that I think that's very good. And I, I like how you how you put it as not necessarily a parent child relationship, but as but as something more platonic or, or, or beyond. Um, I hadn't quite thought of it as in those terms. So I, I find that quite valuable. Absolutely. Andrew, I think I've largely exhausted my questions. Hey, I'm, I'm just, I'm just basking in the goodness because <laughs> this is like, I'm sitting here and every word I hear, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's the good stuff. So, like, so Dragna, you, you should know Andrew's kind of a fan, frankly, a um, little and uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of the questions you write, he sends right to us. Uh, uh, well, I'll so. I I won't admit <laughs> it. No, I I totally will. I do that all the time. Um, I man, I I could go for another hour of this, but I know you are out on the East Coast. It's getting late for yep. you, and yep. we can wrap this up. But I. I hope that uh, it would go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. We would absolutely love to have you back. Um, this was, I I think the best word to describe this episode has been delightful. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, that's right. It, I it will really, happily concur. <laughs> right on. It, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for just taking the time to hang out with us and uh, share share your thoughts and your experiences and your perspective because i 
I really feel like, um, you know, we've talked a lot on the show about setting expectations. And I think we as GMs um, can really, we can really get in, in our own heads and we can kind of habitually isolate or try to create our own vision. And like Adam said, you know, come to the table with this attitude of I'm going to present you something that you, that I'm going to allow you to play around in, but this is my thing that I am giving to you. Oh, so generously. Um, and, and that's but it's really, not yours, right? It's not, yeah. it's not mine. It's all of ours. You know, that session last night, I, I wouldn't have had that without the four of you guys playing with me and you guys got to present many different things to me that brought delight to me. And that's, that's what this hobby is about. It's about that friendship and that collaboration and that desire that we have to to share something that is that isn't real but is true and is something just special that you can just feel in your heart and in your soul um so thank you for helping that grow in all of us. Hey, well, it's been, you know, an absolute pleasure to talk with you both tonight. You know, this is, uh, uh, as uh, my Twitter bio now says, I am a happy purveyor of hot takes or cold takes as they Hmm. may be. So thank you for allowing me to have the opportunity to come out out and have such a great conversation with you guys. Um, It has been on my side a delight as well. And I think, you know, on all those points, I wholeheartedly agree. You know, this is a game about... um, coming together and creating a bigger and better whole than we ever could apart. And I think that's, you know, if we will, you know, as DMs allow ourselves a bit of humility um, and, you know, allow our players to, you know, create and evoke inspiration in places we may not have expected, um, then we'll have a much richer and a much deeper narrative and gameplay experience by the time we come out. Amen. Amen. Well, Well Adam, Anything else, man? It could not possibly add anything except for the plugs. <laughs> not a bit. Uh, Dragna, if you want to throw out any uh, any links, plugs uh, that you got, now's the time, man. All right, let's let's see if I can go down the list. Um, so if you uh, want to hear more of my D&D hot takes, uh, Curse of Strahd related or otherwise, or uh, D&D tips, resources, um, or anything along those lines, you can follow me on Twitter at Dragna Carta. Um, if you want to uh, check out the work that I have uh, on Reddit, I published a number of articles, my Curse of Strahd Reloaded Guides. Uh, I'm you slash Dragna Carta as well. Um, I also have a Patreon, uh, a number of different tiers I offer uh, for lower tier patrons, snapshots of my upcoming work, um, work in progress, rough drafts. Uh, of just, you know, uh, articles, uh, module modifications. I'm working on a sorcerer subclass uh, or class rework at the moment. Um, so you get access to those. Plus, you know, uh, I run monthly workshops on an assortment of D&D topics. You get access to, you know, uh, session templates, campaign templates, session plans. Um, you get to ask me questions about Curse of Strahd and whatever campaigns are running. I offer mentoring at higher tiers. 
Um, so that's patreon.com slash Dragnacarta. I will definitely concur <laughs> that your the amount of value that your Patreon offers, and this is no hyperbole, is freaking incredible. Like the the you are extremely hands-on and active uh with your Patreon and in your Patreon Discord. You're on there all the time. And um, I, I've never seen anyone who actually is as active as you have been with your Patreon. So um, I personally, as a patron, I want to say I have felt like I have gotten exponentially more than just bang for my buck. Well, thank so you. I am... It, it is worth it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm very gratified to hear that. It, it's been a true pleasure to see a, a surprisingly, you know, I, I shouldn't be surprised, but, you know, um, you know, large, warm, resourceful, helpful community come together. Uh, it's and it's so an good. absolute pleasure to work with everyone. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so that, that, that's been wonderful. Um, actually, today I've got the, a, a milestone coming up. I'm going to have to plan for how to celebrate that. But um, uh, other assorted plugs. Um, if you want to watch Twice Bitten, you can check us out. Uh, you can, there's a playlist of all episodes on tinyurl.com slash Twice Bitten. Uh, you can check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash R Curse of Strahd. Or you can check us out on Reddit at reddit.com slash R slash Twice Bitten D&D for a full episode list and discussion threads. Beautiful. And uh, as far as we are concerned, uh, thank you, everyone for hanging out. Thank you again, Dragna, for coming on the show and hanging out with us as well and sharing your insights. Um, Thank you to our ever loyal and stalwart patrons, uh, Spike, Kate, Logan, and Falangor. You guys are, as always, the best. And uh, if you would like to support us, support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash inspiration point and check out the various tiers that we've got. Um, And even at the bottom end, you will get access to our Discord channel uh, that is pleasantly active and uh, chock full of insight. And if uh, you want to check out the show's website, head on over to inspirationpoint.buzzsprout.com. Once you're there, you can find three little bubbles in the upper right-hand corner that can take you to our Facebook, Twitter, and Patreon. And if you are on mobile, those little bubbles will be right in the top center of your screen. So, I think I am in a delightful place. So, what I will leave you all with is uh, if you are a DM or GM, talk to your players, get involved and collaborate and don't let the desire to keep spoilers out of things or to hide things or have all these twists. Don't let those things keep you from engaging with your friends and with the people that you are enjoying this hobby with. As, uh, as the Beatles say, come together. Right now. Right (laughs) now. And until next time, everybody, stay inspired. Bye. Bye.